0: Um, I should say that 50 years ago this week I would have been trundling into Nuffield College um, to hand over an essay to be totally shredded by uh, Hugh Clegg, it went on week after week and uh, and then uh, I'm not going to One of the nice things about having a paper in advance is that one can express oneself much more (laughs) tersely on paper than speaking, so I'll take it as read. But uh, you'll gather from that that I had an extraordinarily serendipitous and privileged apprenticeship, which not only enabled me to get into academic life, at a time when actually it was rather easy uh, in the 60s, um, without a doctorate, uh, but also gave me, at the tender age of 20, Won a salary of 983 pounds a year, which was uh, which 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 was no mean thing. Um, uh, later, I got very strong links with the academics at Oxford. Uh, immediately, that generation, Derek Robinson, was hugely generous to me over a number of years. Bill McCarthy, uh, very much so. John Carino, strange relationship, but yes, right on into when he went to Australia and came back, and uh, and Arthur Marsh, uh, particularly later, they were really very kind. Um, you know, reading papers and making suggestions and all that sort of thing. Um, But it was a very loose association, I don't know what the term school means, but if school means a network of people who interact, well golly we interacted, the biggest stimulus on my life at Warwick probably was Richard, because we disagreed on almost everything, (laughs) and when you disagree with someone who really uses data well, it's a real challenge to try to do better. Um, Yeah, and and obviously Hugh I knew for the last 30 years of his life, and and Alan for the last three. Um, There are, I think, five things I want to comment on um, generally um, uh, in the next 10 minutes. Um, One is, I think, the importance of wartime experience. John uh, mentioned earlier. Um, uh, I think wartime experience it, it gave a gravity to the sense of purpose of these people. Um, uh, the thing that really dawned on me much later was that was why pluralism was a big ethical thing. I remember after actually Hugh was great at organising you know debates because he, he he liked he liked argument. So he had a debate with um, with Richard. Richard talked about Marxist approaches, and Hugh gave what turned out to be first draft of the paper in pluralism that out and BJIR. and uh, afterwards at some point I was in the pub the Virgins and castle in Kenilworth the usual place with Hugh and I taxed him on this I said you don't need to have all this argument about pluralism being a normative thing it's pragmatic as long as the trade unions around you've got to negotiate with them. And so we had an argument. And looking back on it, how naive I was. I never thought the world could turn upside down the way it's done. And I think that's one of the features that's really important about that group of people. They were historians in many ways. And if you have a historical perspective, you know that the world can go backwards. And by golly, hasn't it? Just in many ways. The... um, the second point I want to make was that these people were very engaged in the world and people have commented on Hugh's um, friendship with employers, Richard O'Brien I think particularly influential but also a trade unions very close to Derek Gladwin um, David Basnet, people John will know well and, 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 and so on and Hugh was very keen to build up the uh, annual course for what we called personnel managers at Unilever which went on over many years uh, at Warwick and the uh, annual course for what was then GM WU GMB officers that went on for many, many years. Um, They were very engaged as mediators and arbitrators. Um, Hugh did a lot of arbitration. Bill did, of course. Uh, They both chaired major arbitration committees for the government. Um, Derek Robinson did a lot. George did a lot. Um, Arthur Marsh did a lot. I think that engagement, there's nothing like doing an arbitration. Uh, George inducted Roy somewhere and myself into being ACAS arbitrators in 1985 one of the things we remember was that George said to us the arbitrator has to give the lion's share to the lion the skill lies in spotting which one is the lion <laughs> and so that that new no, you know because you're going to sit there with people telling whoppers to you uh and it may be that they just have deluded view of the world or well, it may be just that they're telling whoppers in order to you know, and you know and so that I think that's very important for the way these people thought Um, and they were also very keen on outreach and Hugh used to give lectures to all sorts of rather strange bodies. I remember he once sent me off to talk to the um, time and motion engineers annual convention in Warrington because by a diary clash he couldn't go and that sort of thing and the significance of it came through to me once I went along we had to negotiate access I think it was the standard triumph on the, you know, in Cannelly outside Coventry And we were confronted by a a personnel director who said to Hugh, I heard you giving that talk to whatever it was, IPM or something, the other day. I get the impression you think industrial disputes are all the result of management's fault. And Hugh said, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably true, and the guy said, "Well, I think you're probably right. When do you want to start?" <laughs> <laughs> it's very important. Um, and then also, so, I mean, Alan was very keen, encouraging me to contribute to Socialist Commentary, New Society, and all the other magazines now long gone and, and fled. Um, the third point I want to make is the multidisciplinarity. I've spent most of the last 30 years in Cambridge from time to time having to arbitrate between different disciplines and sub-disciplines. And as you know, academics, uh, when they get to drawing up distinctions between their disciplines, they make Fleet Street printers <laughs> look like novices. And you know, when does our social anthropology become soci- sociology, etc., etc.? The great thing about this group was, and, and the paper by George and Hugh in the British Journal of Industrations 1974 makes it very clear, is they were completely promiscuous. They didn't give a damn which discipline you used so long as it helped understand the circumstances in which power relations develop, are and mediated and, 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 can, and can be, can be moderated at uh, no time at all for academic sectarianism, which is probably why none of them ended up as fellows of the British Academy. Sure. But they, they, um, they really were focused on the problem, and I think that was really important. They, they weren't anti-theory at all, but they were anti what you might call one-eyed theories. Theories, oh that's great, George, thanks. Theories that purported to explain everything, and th- that's whereby the, the author didn't really need to have to dabble in, in other territories. A fourth point I want to make is about um um, field work. The extent of ignorance about workplace bargaining in the 1950s and 60s was staggering uh, and it was a very strange world and paddling around in workplaces I, I was amazed you know how, how, how quaint they were. You know, my later work would say it was all a result of very low levels of economic competition in the post-war era and there's nothing like competition to make management manage workers better and, and if workers are managed better then they tend to end up with less control over work. For better or for worse, um, I remember Hugh saying that when he ever he visited a, met a new employer, he used to ask him two questions, which usually sorted out whether they knew at all what was going on in their workplace. One was, how many people do you employ, and the other was, what's your percentage level of overtime. He said the majority around the Coventry area couldn't answer either 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 question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, They were mostly on cost plus arms contracts and doing quite well out of it. Um, And uh, Alan Flanders' um, work on uh, Fawley was obviously important in terms of what you can get by field work. His work on John Lewis' partnership, for that matter, and various other bits as well. Bill McCarthy's stuff on The Closed Shop, for which he uh, interviewed scores of people. Um, But I think in some ways the real wire opener was the National Board for Prices and Incomes, where we had even, even better access. And I remember going to someone in the oil, industry and they're saying we've got no time for George Brown but we've got lots of time for Aubrey Jones and it was like other institutions later it it had very good access Um, and it showed what you could do if you put a relatively you know bright young person into a factory and leave them to be for a week, they'd come out with a very interesting account of what really goes on, because they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd talk to the foreman, they'd talk to the shop stewards, they'd talk to the people who actually get the cars out of the door, or the petrol through the pipes or whatever it would be. And this was a tradition that you know, Nick boson kept. We were we were together at the Prices and Inclus Board a long time ago. Um, uh, he, he can say more about the National Board of Price and Incomes, but I think that developed this fieldwork idea, carried on into the CIR by Alan uh, Flanders, and there's at least three people who are employed by the CIR, so I hope here, so, uh, so I hope they'll talk a bit about the fieldwork there. I think probably the Bullock report and then Hughes Comparability Commission, there was less scope for it because you were under such tight deadlines, although you got Eric Batstone to do a sort of survey, didn't and, you? And Paul Davis, yeah. And Paul Davis. Um, but it mattered hugely for the Low Pay Commission. In many ways, it was rather like the um, problem confronted by the Donovan Commission. We had massive ignorance of the nature of low pay. We didn't know whether people had pay slips, let alone what was written on them. We didn't know how hours were recorded. We didn't know about how things like job and finish were dealt with. What on earth do you do with piecework? Our Are home workers, do they have work study on their tasks? What do you do about therapeutic employment? Huge number of actually fascinating little questions and the only way of getting the answers was by going to talk to them and i was really chuffed and so we george set up a routine where every, every region was developed was visited between each report and we you know we went, we tacked around and we talked to we could tell you more about sandwich bars and laundrettes and and estate home, um, you know All pubs, all all sorts of things Um, that you wouldn't want. Caravan sites, lots of things, and how you you know where low pay occurs that you wouldn't want to know. But it was really important, and I'm really pleased. I went to a meeting at the low pay commission last month, and Steve Machen who's just come off his six-year term as a um, commissioner, he said he gave a sort of view back on it, and he said that well, the thing he found most interesting of it all was those those trips going to talk to the people who actually have to run fairground stands or, 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 or. or um, Welk's tools, or whatever it might be. Uh, just, this is a complete sideline, but I think what is happening to the minimum wage and the low pay commission as a result of government intervention at the moment is absolutely awful, and that tradition will be placed in, in jeopardy. Deter. Can I go back to the beginning? Obviously, the influence of, of all this, I mean, on Donovan was huge and one can debate, you know, was Donovan right or wrong. I think every 10 years afterwards I would have given a different answer. But what was really important was that this was policy based on a strong research base, like the low pay commission. And the recommendations just wouldn't have been possible. You wouldn't have got those employers to agree. But above all, so that the thing reflected in Bill McCarthy's phrase that shop stewards are more of a lubricant than an irritant, unless they'd been bombarded with masses of relevant data. Um, um, Peter, for whom many thanks for organising this, um, did ask us to say a little about what it felt like. Well, I can't say what it felt like to be in the Oxford School, because I wasn't in that sense in it, but I was at Warwick um, for a long time, 17 years, and um, Warwick in the early 70s, what it felt like was, was huge fun, and it's really just corroborating what, what George has said. Um, Hugh said that well, the time he enjoyed most at nuffield was before this insulting thing to say am afraid Andrew. before this building was built because when they had in wherever they were before they all had to crowd into a kitchen and coffee room was all very crowded and he said we actually used to talk about research then once we've got that palace we never saw each other much <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it's changed now um, uh, the, 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 the characteristic of, of the subject in the late 60s, early 70s was that it was a very exciting subject. It's a feature of young, the best young social scientists, I think, march towards the sound of gunfire. They want to do stuff that's politically relevant. You can see some of this. I know among people in my old college at Cambridge, people concerned with global warming, they get really bright people, and they're, they're omnivorous and they, they're, they're multidiscipline because they want to solve a problem. They don't want just to become fellows of the British Academy or Royal Society or whatever it might be. and So we had very exciting students, many of whom went on to very exciting jobs. Um, I've got written here, pubs and parties. Hugh, despite being a very shy man, I'm, I'm told by Anne-Marie Flanders in his greater youth, he was an intimidatingly shy man. He was very, very sociable. Uh, we had annual day outings with the Ben Roberts's LSE MA, uh, terminating with a football match, even on one occasion with Hugh and one guy and um, ben, ben in, in in the other um we had annual seaside outing to skegness and western supermare and blackpool and places like that <laughs> 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 and um uh. Oh, and we had an annual cricket match with sociology. Uh, uh, Hugh knew how to create a new institution, which is by creating instant traditions and making them work. So, I I don't know what's meant by an Oxford school. I don't really care. It was an extraordinary network of (coughs) mutually influencing people. And and there was definitely a Warwick school that, to some extent, continues now. Thanks very much. Thank Thank you. Thank you.